welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwaneka. You are very welcome. We are starting this series of, of love, right? In Doxodeo, we've taken up marching orders. And these marching orders are to step into a city to change the context of that city. And we do that in a very particular way. We do that by co-laboring with God. You can never do it on your own. We co-labor with God in three ways. If you look at the, the left-hand side there, it is to reach the lost on the wall, not the person that's standing there. On the wall, it says, reach the lost, heal the pain, and restore the brokenness. And we will give our lives for this. Why? Because these things, these marching orders have eternal value. And it's clear in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says it in this way, if you can put that up on the screen for us. Three things will last forever. Three things will last forever. Imagine dragons won't last. <laughs> but three things will last. Faith, hope, and love. And the way that these three things then map into our marching orders is, as Joe said, it is an introduction to faith that will reach the lost. It is that introduction being made in an irresistible way of showing love that people don't understand on this earth that will heal their pain. And once somebody is introduced to Jesus and they accept him in faith, they will have hope for their today, their tomorrow, and their forever. This is our marching orders. Now last year we spoke about that concept of faith. And we're going to take a step further now into the concept of love, godly love. And we're going to take a few key scriptures that if you've been in church for a while, you've heard it many times. If you haven't been in church for a while, you've heard it many times because you would have seen it on Instagram, you know, like a post that goes up. So it sounds familiar. But I believe that God wants to take a step deeper with us today into, the, into making sense of the familiar. So 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And then it goes on and it says, and the greatest of these is love, baby. <laughs> love. Why is it the greatest thing? Why does, why does Paul go and he says, love is the greatest of these things? I wonder whether love isn't the key because love, showing Jesus' love to people, unlocks faith. And faith unlocks hope. So love seems to be the key. Now the question is, what does this love look like? What does a love look like that makes Jesus irresistible? 
so that people finding this Jesus irresistible find faith in him and that faith unlocks hope in their lives. What does that love looks, look, looks like? Look like? It's like my feet are and is. I don't know anymore. <laughs> Afrikaans people, shame. What does that love look like? And I think it's a massively important question to ask and answer for us in this generation. Why? Because just in the past two weeks, I had three people that I, one person that I heard of, two that I spoke with, and the one person said, I will not give money to the church anymore. In fact, I left a particular church. Why? Because I gave money and they used it for a different purpose. Now that person is church hopping from one place to the next because their, under, their experience of love has had an impact on them. Another person went a step further and they said, I got hurt in the church. Now I don't go to church anymore. I serve God on my own. Now that person is isolated. And when life happens to them, they don't have people around them to help them make sense of a broken world. And what really broke my heart was there was this person that just said, Somebody hurt me in the church. I don't want anything to do with Christ anymore. It is such an important question for us to consider. Globally, the state of the church is on a knife's edge. And I'm not being dramatic. I'm being left brain. I'm looking at the data. I'm seeing what's happening. And I want to share that with you. Oh, I don't know if you can see this up on the screen, but this was a, a study done to say, what is the state of Christianity in the world? 2018, slightly dated. It said that 76% of North America are Christian, 92% of Latin America, 45% of Africa, 77% of Europe, 9% of Asia, 71% of Australia. Now we know that this is per census. So this is a person saying, I, I am Catholic or I am Protestant. So if you look at those numbers, for example, in Europe, you would know that a lot of people say that they are Catholic or they are Protestant, but they do not profess to have a personal relationship with God. But let's take this as the state of the church. Then Pew Research did a, a research study a while ago where they said, what will now happen to if this is the best case scenario of Christianity? What will happen with Christianity running into 2050? So if you put that slide up for me, so this is even smaller, that came out quite uh, small. But what happens here is projected from what will happen to Christianity from the year 2010 to 2050 is right at the bottom, it's net changes. So if it's on the left-hand side of that graph, it says we lose people. On the right-hand side, we gain people. So at the left bottom, the, the faith that will lose the most people will be Christianity. And where will they go to? Top right, unaffiliated. So people saying, I got hurt in the church, I don't like the Christians, and for that reason, I leave, and I don't know where else to go, so I become unaffiliated, I don't believe in anything anymore, I believe in myself. This is the state of the church. Mahatma Gandhi said it in this way, he said, I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ, unlike your Christ. This is the state of the church. Now many of you sitting here are between the ages of 20 and 35. In your generation, this is, a, this is gonna break. 
This is like a massive, massive question being asked. So take the US, take Europe to start off with. 2% of people that are in school and are in university follow Christ. 2%. The US is going there very, very quickly because in the year 2050, with the projections that we are showing at the moment, is that the US church will be a minority faith by the year 2050. Why? Because young people are leaving the church and the old people are passing away, leaving the church 50% smaller than what it is today. In South Korea, it was the fastest growing church in the years, in the beginning of the years 2000. It is now the fastest, not growing, decelerating church in the past 10 years. And what drives it? Youth suicide is the biggest problem that we are experiencing in the South Korean church. This question for this generation, what does this love look like that makes Jesus so irresistible that somebody would rush towards him in faith? And that will restore hope for their today, their tomorrow, and their forevers. That's the question. And that's why this question is so important and that's why the, the reason for this stopping and thinking about it in the year 2023 is so important because guess what? The moment that we start talking about hope, it will be 2024 where this country will go to the polls for elections. We have to sort out our understanding of love now. Amen. And that's why in this series we're going to go through a few shifts Mind shifts that we have to go through in order to ready ourselves to, to be so irresistible in the way that we show Jesus to people. Now, there's a few shifts, revamping to reviving, self-defined to God-defined, concern to compassion, law to love. These are the shifts that we are talking about. Now, I have the privilege today to talk about the first shift, revamping to reviving. Now, you ask, what does that mean? I asked the question as well when I got the, the series outline, but God made sense of it. Because here's what's happening, is we experience love on earth in a way, we get hurt, uh, we get confused, we get worried, but we experience love in our families and our marriages and our relationships and so on. And then what we do is we upgrade that experience ever so slightly and we project it on God and we say, what we've experienced on earth, we revamp so slightly and then we project it on God and we say, that is what godly love looks like. Where it is so far from the truth. And what God wants to come and do today, he wants to come and anchor us, not in a revamped understanding of love, but he wants to come and revive your experience of his love. Holy Spirit, I pray that each person that is sitting in this room, each person that is listening to my voice will hear your heart of saying, I don't want to revamp your experience of earth. I want to revive your experience of heaven. I don't want to revamp your experience of earth. I want to revive your experience of heaven. This is what I want to come and do in your heart today, and this is what this series is all about. Can we journey together? Next step. Yes? 
I need like a guttural yes, so that we can go for it. Yes, baby, okay. So what does this love look like? I wanna share with you a story about marriage. To share the story about love, what it means to me. Now, I wanna share the story firstly of my first marriage. And now you go, ah, you see, this preacher, he's been divorced. Now I can't listen to him anymore. So if you're sitting there and for a moment you say, okay, so this guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I learned something going through a painful, painful divorce. I learned something about the difference between the love of earth and the love of heaven. And that is what I want to come and share with you today. This got very real very fast, no? I'm all right. Are you all right? Okay. Dated for three years. And then two years into my marriage, my first marriage, my ex-wife had her first affair. Third, second affair, third affair, fourth affair. In year five of our marriage, I, I learned about what was happening. And then we tried to reconcile and we tried to, you know, fix what was broken. And then later on, she had her fifth affair. And then after seven years of being together, we got divorced. Now just imagine what your experience of love is when a person that, that promised love and loyalty to you, that you promised love and loyalty towards, takes that. And because of pain that they have had in the past, they bring that pain into your marriage. The inexperience, the not knowing what I was doing at the age of 23, just saying my inexperience bringing and not helping that pain in my marriage. Just think about my understanding of love and what that does to my understanding of God's love for me. Because what I did was I took this love that I experienced, this, this view that I had of what this life could be like with this person that I loved, and I projected it in anger on God. And I said, if this is what love is all about, it means that you cannot love me if you allow these things to happen to me. Why didn't you tell me that this was going to happen? Why didn't you stop me to step into this marriage? Why didn't you tell me when these things were happening? Why didn't you warn me when the first affair started? Why, 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 why? I took my experience of love on earth and I projected it on God in a revamped way. And what did that do? Two seconds later, the enemy was at my door saying, well, if he doesn't love you, are you worth loving? And that's what the enemy does to us. Our experience of love on earth, our broken experience of a broken world, we revamp, we project on God, and within a moment's notice, they become like these monsters standing at your door saying, but am I worthy of love if the, if the creator of love don't love me? That is a horrible, horrible, horrible place to be. And I thank God to this day that in that misery, he sent a person, a friend of mine into my life to come and show me a revived understanding of love. 
a friend of mine stepped into it and he spoke a prophetic word into my life. I love the prophetic because it, it catches you unawares, but it's God speaking to you when you cannot listen, when you are too broken to hear. He spoke a word into my life and he said, and this was so amazing because God spoke through a friend of mine so directly into my heart because he knew exactly what I was struggling with. Because at that point in time, I said, I spent 10 years of my life with this person. What of these 10 years was true? What moment of intimacy, what moment of sharing, what moment of being together, what of 10 years was true? And as I'm grappling with this, with this revamped understanding of love, God sends somebody and he says, he gives me this word. He says, the years that the locusts have taken away from you, I will come and I will give back to you because I love you. Hey, man. It was, an, it was as if God spoke, the heavenly realms spoke into my heart and he said, I know what you're going through. My love is a revived love and I have something different for you because I love you. I'm gonna come and give back to you in spades. What did that do? All of a sudden I started realizing, well, there's a God that loves me. Maybe I'm worthy of love. Started praying, God, send somebody that I can love again. As I'm praying, closing my uh, Bible, switching off the light, this very same friend months after phones me and he says, I want to introduce you to a goal. Now I'm ready, right? A revived understanding of love. There's a goal. Please explain this goal. She is a beautiful heart. She's got a beautiful outside. She's got a Mercedes. And she's got a boy of five. That's the way that he described her. I got stuck with she's beautiful on the inside. So I just said, okay, so that's, I'm there. I, <laughs> After a while, I drove the Mercedes, eh? so that was low. Okay. You're taking us off tangent now. So I said, yes. Driving to the blind date that we organized, Driving, focus. Now driving to, the, to their house. For the first time I figured, okay, so there's a five-year-old boy in this mix. And then I thought, oh my goodness. What if he doesn't like me? What if I don't like him? What if I like his mother? And then, okay, so how is this gonna work? And then I was, I was stressing there for various reasons. So I knocked on the door and uh, out came running this five-year-old bundle of energy. He knocks open the door. He knocks me over, umper, and then he rushes past me with a little rucksack over his shoulder with a pillow under his arm. We're going to drop him off. And he turns on his heels and he looks at me and he says, who are you? <laughs> I'm like, gatekeeper, yeah. So this... And at that moment, like literally at that moment, God came and he did something in my heart. This guy that had no kids, know nothing about kids, how to raise kids and so on. God comes and he says, like in, a, in this way in my heart, he says, I'm going to do something in your relationship. 
I want to show you who I am and I want to know who you are. And God comes and instills a godly love moment in this relationship with this little boy. And I'm thinking, wow. And then Blader came walking through the door. I was like confused. I didn't know what was going on. But God came and did something out of a healed perspective of love, allowing me to love not only Blader, but to love somebody else beyond her. At the wedding, we were taking photographs, and uh, at some, uh, he was being stupid. He's being like six years old, and he's doing handstands all over the show, and his shirt is dirty and hanging out. And the, and the photographer brings him close, and he says, okay, so come and take pictures with your new mom. And he went something like, um, she's actually old. She's not new. So, <laughs> but there was, this, there was this relationship that God brought together. Why do I tell you this extended story? I tell you this story because God wants to come and revive your understanding of his love for you. Because if that understanding can be revived, he can step into your heart and just show you that you are worthy of his love and also of the love of others. And it is from that understanding that you can step into a world and just share the type of love that makes Jesus irresistible. This is what God's heart is for us. Mark 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater as these. What does this very well-known two verses speak to? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's looking up and really trying to grasp what God's love is for you. And from looking up, being able to look in, look into the mirror and say, given this love, what does what, what Bosov look like? Is he lovable? Is he adorable? Is he somebody that is worthy of love? And then from looking in, being able to look out for the first time and saying, I want to share that love from that understanding. I want to share that love with other people. Here's the issue. It is only when we can fully grasp the nature of God's love for us that we can love ourselves in a way that allows us to love others well. It is only when we fully, fully grasp God's love, the nature of his love for us, that we can understand that we can be loved and that allows us to love others well well but we blast into relationships without the understanding of what God is and what his love is we blast into relationships into places in this world where uh, we take our revamped understanding of love and what do we do we wreak havoc in our own lives and the lives of others John 15, 12 says, this is my command, love each other as I have loved you. It's just so clear that there are three steps to this. It is looking up, looking in, and looking out. But why do we struggle so desperately to love ourselves? As you're sitting here, maybe just grade for a moment your self-love. Now, if you have a Calvinist upbringing, that would mean if I say self-love, you go, okay, so that's, that is not something that I'm supposed to do. 
If you have a warped understanding of God's love, you can't love yourself. So self-love in this context is the way that you think about yourself through the eyes and the lenses of God, how God sees you. That's what I'm talking about here. Why can't we love ourselves? On a scale from one to 10, your self-love, where would you put it? 10 is high, one is not good. Where would you put it? Don't shout it out. Just in your spirit, be real with God. Where does my self-love lie? You see, the moment that I promised love and loyalty to Blader, I also promised love and loyalty to Andreas. And this I did knowing that he was going to become a teenager. (laughs) I knew that somewhere, and he's here. He's sitting right here. He's 25 now. I asked him whether I could tell the story. He said, well, okay. Now, I didn't share this story with you. But when, when I promised Andreas that I would love him and that I would be loyal to him, I did that knowing that he would give me plenty reason not to. Yeah? Let's just press pause for the moment. All the parents of teenagers, you are loved by God. <laughs> you are blessed. You are, you are like part of God's... like. Hearts deeply. Why? Because teenagers, when they go from ages 12, then they start this process of differentiation and individualization. So what they do is they need to press the boundaries because they need to figure out how I'm different from my father and my mother. I press the boundaries. I do stupid things. I drink stupid things. I wear stupid things. I do like all of these things. Why? And it's good. So it's, it's necessary to press the boundaries. But you do that, not you, the, the other teenagers, the, you, they do that while their prefrontal cortex is not developed yet, at the age of 25 only can you now 100% logically um, think about the way that you do things. So if you pass 25 and you don't think logically, it's not physiology's fault. That is something else. I don't know what that is. So there's 12 years of turmoil in a house where there are new love languages that come into the house. Sarcasm becomes a love language of a teenager towards a parent. Guttural expletives when they disagree. So, I knew that this boy was going to become a teenager, but I promised love and loyalty to him. And this is where we get it wrong so many times. Jesus knew you before you were born. Jesus died for you gave his life so that you might live even though he knew that you would give him reasons not to. But we get stuck with the things that we do wrong. And we think, this thing that I've done wrong, this mistake that I've made, this thing that happened outside of my control but that I now feel ashamed about, all of these things now feed into my mind that says, I cannot be loved. But hear this, Jesus died for you on the cross long before you were born and he knew exactly the things that you would go through. He knew that he would give you talents and that you would waste those talents in a certain part of your life by binge watching what Netflix. He knew that he would give you a passion and you would park that passion because you would be running after money rather. He knew that he would give you a body to serve him with, and you would cheaply give away the the jewels of that body to somebody because you wanted to be accepted. 
He knew that you would, that you would be a person that, that would have like a sexual identity that he gave you. And he knew that you would be, you would be raised in an environment where same-sex attraction, that type that builds brotherhood and sisterhood, in an environment you will be drawn to say that same-sex attraction is always sexual, where it's not. He knew that you would be drawn by a society that would put things in your mind that confuses you. He knew, he knew, he knew that you would steal and you would drink and you would smoke and you would snort and you would hurt and you would lie and you would rebel and you would fear and you would worry. You would manipulate, you would run away, you would play the victim, you would play the savior. He knew this and still he died for you. What does that say about you? That says that God loves you no matter what. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing in your life that you can ever do that can take you away from God's love. If something is sitting in your mind today and say, I cannot be loved, it is a lie. It is an absolute lie. Don't believe it. If you understand God's love for you, you must understand that you are lovable. So much so that he gave part of himself, he gave Jesus to die for you so that you can live forever. Self-love in a revived way. Mm-hmm. Morning. <laughs> no, so there's a, a word that I heard and it stuck with me for a long time. And it, it's, it ties in the revival part. So um, Jesus or, or God is not a reflection of your earthly father. He's the perfection. And, and that spoke spoken to me. So you get angry at your dad and you fight and you know he still loves you, but he still makes mistakes. And that's not a reflection of God. God is the perfection. Amen. Thanks, you know. So if you take your version or your understanding of your father's love to you, and you say, what does a perfect version of that look like? That is a revived understanding of God's love. And maybe you've been living with a revamped understanding. And God wants to come and release you from that today. Now is ek jylle van my story af. Sure, jylle. God does not want to let you go today without you understanding his love for you. Everything that has been holding you away from that is a lie. I've got other things to say, but I think we need to just stop here and just create a moment where 
um, where we try to anchor how God feels over you today. And God wants to come and say, whatever, whatever, wherever the starting point was for your, for something that you might not understand clearly about his love, he wants to come and reveal it to you and say, that was the origin. And he wants you to come and give the lie of that experience to him. And he wants to come and give you a gift today and say, this is where I was in that moment. This is what I made happen in that moment. And he wants to come and revive 100% that scenario that has been plaguing you for a long time in your life. And he wants to come and break you free from it. And I can just see the love that exudes out of you from that understanding. I can just see a love that you've been holding back that you wanted to give to people around you that you didn't necessarily know how to give, that when that moment out of your life is taken away, that it will just rush into people in a fresh and new way, that they will, they will not understand what's going on because there's been a revival of God's love in your heart. I pray that there's, that there's more that God wants to come and reveal to you as people. And now I can see people ducking. They don't want. Don't duck. God wants to come and speak into your heart today. He wants to come and show you His love in a new and fresh way. And then you can go and love others. I want to do two prayers now. First prayer is for you sitting here that has never experienced an understanding of God's love because you've never invited Him into your heart. You've been hurt so many times by a revamped version of love, revamping an earthly version. And there's something, there's a glimpse here of what God wants to show you about a revived version. But that journey starts with allowing Him into your heart through a step of faith. If you're here today and you want to say, Jesus, I want to invite you into my heart. I want to start this journey anew and afresh. I know that there's more for me in this world. I want to pray with you. So if everybody can close your eyes. If you are sitting here and you say, I've never invited Jesus into my heart. I want to be that person today and I want to pray with somebody. Just pop up your hand very quickly and I know that I can pray with you. If there's somebody, everybody's eyes closed. If you want to step and give Jesus your heart today. Just pop up your hand. Thank you so much. And just take it down again. Thank you so much. Jesus, you died for me. You died for me when you knew all the things that I would give you a reason not to love me. But today, Lord, I know that you love me in a way that is absolutely perfect. Thank you for that love. I take that love, I take it into my heart. I want to serve you and hear you as I take this journey into love. Understanding of a love that goes up, understanding of love from you, understanding of love for myself, understanding of love for others. This journey I want to go on with you. Take my heart, I am yours. 
If you've prayed this prayer with me, please afterwards just come to the front. There are people that will minister to you and just take the next step with you. And Lord, for the rest of us, I want to ask that through your spirit you will come and just hone in, focus in on that space where I have gotten hurt and where the enemy brought a lie of of this is what love looks like. Holy Spirit, I know that it's hurtful to go there, but please, Lord, take me there. Show me where you were in that circumstance. Show me the love that you exuded there that I've never recognized. You were there in my pain, Lord. You were there in my suffering. You were there in my mistake. You were there when I did the stupidest thing that I could ever have done. You were there. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will show each and every person in that vulnerable moment where you were as a loving father. Because this is the truth. You love us no matter what. Jesus, I bless each person that can hear my voice in your name of love. Amen.